Our first reading is from Matthew 17, verses 1 to 9, the Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Our second reading is from 2 Peter 1, verses 16 to 21. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, the transfiguration in Matthew 17 is one of those events in the Bible that many in present day Australian society are likely to regard as a weird, bizarre and unbelievable event. That's because it's clearly describing a supernatural miracle. Jesus and his disciples are climbing a mountain in the middle of Galilee, uh, understood, thought to be Mount Tabor. And then Jesus' face shines like the sun and his clothes dazzling white. And Moses and Elijah appear, they're very much alive, and talk with Jesus. Then they are shrouded in a bright cloud and hear God's voice audibly speaking to them from it. And the disciples fall to the ground in fear. 
Even though our culture rejects God and his supernatural world, many events like this were described by other ancient authors who today's scholars think are reliable historians. And similar events are described today in many parts of the world and some of us have seen and experienced such things. We noted at our Bible study group this week that it's only been in about the last 200 years in the West that people have thought that God and the supernatural don't exist. Every other time in history has believed that they do exist and pretty much most non-Western societies still do. Which is more likely to have got it right? One culture over a 200-year span or every culture for 99% of history? Leave that with us. But in any case, many current scholars look at these accounts in the Gospels and conclude based on documentary evidence that they are most likely to be factual. I mean, if you're going to make up this event to support the Christian faith, you wouldn't have one of its key founding leaders, St Peter, fearful and incoherently babbling about whether or not he should stick up a couple of tents for Moses and Elijah. No, these strange and even embarrassing details make it all the more likely that this is a factual account. The event of the transfiguration is for a certain purpose, to reveal something very important regarding Jesus to the disciples, to the world and to us. And we need to see and come to terms with what that is. And to do that, we're going to see what the transfiguration tells us about, one, who Jesus is, to what Jesus does, and three, what that does to us. So, firstly, who Jesus is. Well, Peter, in his second letter that we just heard from, describes the transfiguration as the outshining of the majestic glory. In other words, the glory of God. And in Mark 17, the voice of God the Father is heard, from the shining cloud saying of Jesus, this is my beloved son. So who is Jesus? Easy answer. God, the son of God. But in Luke's version of the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah also shine with the same glory. Now they had special roles in the Old Testament, but they are still just ordinary human beings. Same as us. Let's think about that, what that could mean for a minute. It must mean that it's possible for ordinary human beings like us to shine with divine glory like Jesus. And yes, that is indeed the truth. Because the Bible and Jesus say that all of God's people will shine like the stars. Back in Matthew 13, 43, Jesus says that, picking up the claim also made in Daniel 12, verse 3. 
And in our reading from 2 Peter, speaking of the transfiguration, it says, you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns that the morning star rises in your hearts. So what happens to Jesus at the transfiguration is what one day will happen to all believers. We will shine with the same divine glory that he shone with. Have you ever had an inferiority complex? So much for that. Or let's just think about it from Jesus' perspective. He, 100% God, then came into our world as 100% human, flesh and blood, like us. But then, at his resurrection and ascension, Jesus ascended to God in heaven, still 100% human flesh and blood. Do we get that? There's now a human being in heaven, someone just like us and will be there forever. So we see what that means. It is possible for 100% human beings, us, to live in the glorious heaven forever just as Jesus is. We've noted that the transfiguration was a freaky, dazzling spectacle by any standards. But it wasn't just the greatest sideshow on earth. If it was just Jesus awing us with his divine superpowers, I'm sure it would be one heck of a show. And I'm sure he would impress us as the greatest of beings in the universe. But if that's all it was, what ultimately would it have to do with us? And what meaningful difference would it make to our lives? This is the hooray for Jesus version of the gospel. That's great news for Jesus. He has divine glory and power, but I'm still just inglorious me, shut out of that glory. And if that's how it was, it would leave us still needing to somehow claw our way up to God and heaven. Which would always be only a very big maybe and full of doubt. How miserable would the Christian life be if that's how it was? Happy birthday. The transfiguration is undoubtedly a great spectacle but there is a still much, much greater, more breathtaking vision that is given to the disciples. They are looking into a mirror. When they see the brilliant glory shining in Jesus they are seeing a vision of who they truly are in Christ. The disciples aren't mere spectators looking at that event from the outside. They are included. They are on the inside. 
God is showing them who they truly are. The disciples are looking at their true selves and likewise we are looking at our true selves. I was on the ministry team that first introduced the uh, Kairos course to the Port Augusta prison and it was the first time I'd done Kairos and so I wasn't familiar with how everything was done and uh, a part of the week-long intensive course were regular worship times for the whole group, ministry team and the guests, that's the inmates who were part of the course. And the guests were unbelievers And when the course started, I was a little surprised when right from the get-go, the guests were included in the worship times and invited to sing along all the worship songs that were printed out and to say all the prayers that were prayed. They were printed out too. I thought, hang on, these guys are not believers, so how can we expect them to worship God and pray to him until they come to faith? And so to begin with, most of them were reluctant to open their mouths, some not at all, or just mumble a few words. But I was surprised that within the first two or three days, most of them started to participate in the worship songs and the prayers sincerely from the heart and they were enjoying it. And during the course the majority of the guests openly stated that they had become Christian believers. This blew me away uh, the first time I was on the course. And as I reflected on this experience, I then understood why the course was run the way it was, by inviting the guests straight off to worship and pray as though they were full Christian believers What we were doing was putting in front of them the mirror of Christ and letting them see their true selves, who they really are in Christ and then inviting them to embrace and live this truth. And uh, this revelation of the gospel had a massive life-changing impact on their lives and we'll come back to this. who Jesus is, secondly, what Jesus does. In the transfiguration, there's a very important parallel between Moses and Jesus. Moses saved and led the people of Israel out of captivity and slavery in Egypt in the Exodus, word that literally means the way out, and to take them to a place where life flourishes, God's promised land. And on the way in the desert, Moses ascends Mount Sinai to receive God's law. Then, when Israel drastically broke the law, Moses ascends the mountain again to seek mercy for the people, that God might forgive and spare them, which he does. Then near the end of Moses' life, God promised that one day he would send another prophet like Moses, only much greater. 
So then here we are at the transfiguration. Moses is there again to meet God on the mountain. And the voice of God speaks, but now it draws attention to Jesus. Not just a prophet, but as the Messiah and God's own son. So we see that Jesus, a new, greater Moses, who will lead God's people in a new exodus, freeing them from sin and brokenness into forgiveness and healing and the ultimate promised land, resurrection to eternal life in the new heaven and earth. And so therefore the transfiguration finishes up with God's message to the disciples and to all people, therefore listen to him. He's the one, Jesus only. How does Jesus, the Messiah, accomplish this? Well, we've seen Jesus' glory is revealed in the transfiguration. But in John 17, Jesus prays there to God the Father to glorify him, by which he means in and through the event that was about to happen, namely his suffering and death on the cross. So, was the glory of Jesus revealed in the transfiguration or in the crucifixion? The answer is yes. The cross is the event through which Jesus will save the people from captivity to sin and brokenness and death and lead them in a new exodus to God's promised land. Jesus does this by sacrificing himself in the highest act of love, in deepest suffering and death, to pay for and forgive every human sin and evil. The glory of the transfiguration is the same glory of the cross, since it comes to us only through the cross. So we've seen who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Now, thirdly, what that does to us. The glorified Jesus is a mirror. He is the true us. In that case, then, the meaning of the Christian life is us catching up to that truth. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, For those who God loves, who are called according to his purpose, he also predestined to what? Be conformed to the image of his Son. Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 3. All of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Another word for this in the Bible is, big religious word, sanctification, which just means we are made more and more and more like 
the holy God as we live and grow in relationship with him. When Jesus was born human like us, he took up our sinful, broken humanity into himself and then through his sinless life of obedience, the total cleansing of the cross, then raising up our humanity new in the resurrection, Jesus recreated us. He reminted us and glorified our humanity. Jesus completed our sanctification in himself. But you see, now that he's done that, he gives it back to us. He gives back a new glorified humanity to you and me through faith and by the power of the Holy Spirit as he calls us to live a new life. And this all starts now. What Jesus has done unlocks and frees us from brokenness and leads us into healing, from conflict and leads us into friendship and rebuilding peace and community, from hopelessness into limitless hope, eternal life in a new heaven and earth. Second Peter refers to the gospel in the transfiguration and says, because of it, it tells us to turn from false teaching and sin and conform to true teaching and to true behaviour, having radically different values and living radically different lives from the godless world around us. We also saw this at work among the guests in the Kairos course in prison. As I said, the vast majority of the guests became Christians by the end of the course. But that was only the start. At the end of the course, they're all invited to continue meeting weekly with members of the outside ministry team who come in to lead ongoing fellowship and worship, Bible study and ministry. And the majority of the guests embrace this and wouldn't miss it. And they do that in face of real opposition and harassment from other inmates. And we see radical transformation happen in their lives as they grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. Some grow into becoming small group leaders themselves and even pastors amongst the other inmates. In South Australia, two Kairos participants, when they left prison, were called to ordained ministry in the Uniting Church. You see, lives are transfigured. But there was another astonishing effect of the gospel in prison When we first tried to get the Kairos course running, it was very hard to get the agreement of prison management. It was a hard fight to get that to be able to happen. But after two years conducting it, their attitude completely changed and they wholeheartedly wanted uh, Kairos there and supported it. The reason? They said that they had seen that those who'd done the course and simply 
the presence of the ministry team in the prison had had an effect on the whole prison population, including the prison guards. It had helped overcome conflict, the prison ran more smoothly and it contributed to greater well-being for everyone. A prison transfigured. And if it happens in these places, it can absolutely, certainly happen in our lives and community. Many Christians and Christian mission organisations are sending resources and going themselves to earthquake-shattered Turkey and Syria with the love of Jesus and to help in all ways possible to rebuild lives, families, communities, towns and cities to be places of flourishing life again. God's transfiguring the world. Started now a work that will be completed by Christ when he comes again. We've seen that two events, the transfiguration and the crucifixion, together reveal the full glory of God. In one, Jesus appears in splendour and glory. In the other, in ugliness and shame. In the one, Jesus is in shining robes. In the other, stripped naked and his clothes are gambled for. In the one, Jesus is flanked by Moses and Elijah, heroes of the Old Testament. In the other, he's flanked by two thieves. In the one, he's surrounded by a bright cloud of God's glory. In the other, by a cloud of darkness. Jesus, the transfigured, became disfigured so that we, the disfigured, might become transfigured. How can we resist a love like that? Don't. Amen.